With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. the neil haley show simulcasted with celebrity interviews live from the grotto with greg Hanna. greg how are you man the media giants here with another big one and you're so excited so greg who do we have today with us oh my gosh we have kirk cameron today very exciting i'm excited to talk with them we're going to talk about life mark and everything kirk thanks for stopping by and man you know thinking about the story first of all of how david this is an entrepreneur story in so many ways of david and his message to reach out to you i want to go to that question before we get any of the further questions of just how somebody goes out with someone as you know well known as you are especially in the christian film world and goes back and says hey I have this idea and tell us that story. David, I interviewed David and he told it It was just amazing. Well, I'm glad you had a chance to meet David. Uh, David's an amazing young guy. Uh, I've gotten to be friends with him and it was really an honor to tell the story of his life. So I have a friend who sent me a link on my phone to a little documentary that had already been produced about David's life. It's called I Lived on Parker Avenue. And it's uh, the story of um, one, one way to tell the story is an 18-year-old girl who changed her mind at the last second and chose adoption over abortion in, uh, in this situation with an unplanned pregnancy. <clears throat> and she placed her child up for adoption, thinking she'd probably never see him again. 19 years later, he has a chance to reconnect with her. She thinks he probably hates her for abandoning him. And uh, he, she realizes that the opposite is true. He's coming to thank her. And he, he embraces her with this loving hug and says, thank you for the choice that you made. I love my family. I love my life. Uh, you're, you're my hero. And I watched this documentary and was just wrecked by the, the, the story. It so impacted me, particularly because I am an adoptive father. My wife and I have six children. Four of our children are adopted. My wife is also an adopted child. And so this really connected with the center of my heart. And I, I knew it would make a great movie. So I called my friends, the Kendrick brothers, and I said, guys, I've gotten in touch with David Scotton. I'm uh, securing the rights to, his, to tell his story. Uh, do you think I'm crazy? And they said, no, uh, we watched the documentary. We don't think you're crazy. In fact, we'd like to make the movie with you. And so we uh, purposed to produce it together. I'm also acting in it along with Alex Kendrick. Uh, I play the adoptive father. Uh, Alex plays the husband of the biological mother, and we made the movie. It's called Life Mark, and it came out this last summer. Uh, the timing was unbelievable with everything happening culturally in the country, and now it's out just in time for Thanksgiving Day weekend, so people can watch this uh, pro-life, pro-family, pro-love, pro-forgiveness, and pro-reconciliation movie. Wow. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. So first quick question, um, you know, what inspired you to make this movie about adoption and release it now, given the climate? Well, uh, as, as I said, I, I thought it was just a great story in and of itself. It was very moving. It's something I think our country needs. Um, and, and we started to make the movie back in 2019. Uh, but then, of course, once the pandemic uh, took over everything, and uh, the, the government reaction to that was to shut everything down, including movie theaters, schools, churches, businesses. We didn't know when the movie would be released. So it was finished. It was ready to go. Uh, and what we thought was a terrible interruption to our plans turned out to be providential timing, because who would have guessed that in our lifetime, the Supreme Court would have effectively overruled uh, a 50-year standing 
ruling of Roe versus Wade and sends the nation into a tailspin with what's going on and everybody's fighting over pro-life, pro-choice. And then right on the heels of that decision, here comes a movie that providentially comes rushing into the movie theaters, celebrating the value of life in the womb and the beauty of adoption. We couldn't have planned it. We couldn't have written a story that was any better than what really happened. We just told the story and uh, God put it in the theaters at the perfect time. Absolutely. Can you tell us about the incredible stories that you've heard from those who have seen Life Mark? Well, uh, I, I've seen the movie quite a few times myself, and I've actually been to the theaters with friends when it was in the theaters, and people are coming out just so touched and moved by it because so many people have been affected by uh, either uh, an unplanned pregnancy or adoption, or they know somebody who's adopted, someone in their family, a friend. Um, and then uh, one of the most moving stories that I heard uh, recently was a, a man who saw the movie in the theaters, he was a real quiet, introverted, uh, shy kind of personality. And uh, he was thinking about the movie as he was driving his Uber uh, and he was picking up people to deliver them places. And he found a young lady who uh, was in the back seat, and he was taking her to the destination. And when he looked, he could see that he was taking her to an abortion clinic. Uh, he looked and she was a young girl who looked like, okay, she was upset and he figured he understood what was going on. He thought about the movie and said, you know what? <clears throat> I'm just going to ask her. And he says to her, would you be open um, in light of where I see I'm taking you? And you're probably filled with a lot of questions. And I don't know if you have anyone to talk to, but you're about to make a really big decision. Would you be open to talking to somebody who could help you think through this? And she said, yes. And he said, there's a movie that I saw that I think would really be helpful for you. It's called Life Mark. And he connected her with a woman at a pregnancy resource center uh, instead of taking her to uh, the, the abortion clinic. And she agreed to talk with them. She got some counsel. He connected her with a family of faith at a church near her hometown. Uh, she was reconnected with her family that she was estranged from. Uh, she renewed her faith in God. She watched the movie and she, she chose to um, give birth to her child and place him up for adoption. So I look at that and I think, wow, this is, this is having a real impact. And uh, babies are being saved. Moms are being helped. And couples who are not able to have children themselves are having their prayers answered all through the impact of a movie like Life Mark. Wow, that's an incredible story. You know, how do you see God's love for his children through adoption? Well, um, God loves adoption for sure. Uh, how do I know that? Because it's all throughout the scriptures. Um, just think about the Christmas story itself. Adoption is at the heart of the Christmas story. A young lady, Mary, wakes up one morning with an unplanned pregnancy from her human perspective. Joseph, full of faith and love for God and for his wife, adopts this baby, raises them as his own son. And because of that loving choice, the baby was saved, Mary was taken care of, and salvation, reconciliation, and new beginnings come to the entire world. Uh, think of the story of Moses. He was scheduled to be aborted by government decree, and his mother, full of faith, uh, places him in a basket and sends him down the river. He's then rescued uh, according to the plan of God and adopted into a royal family. And we have the leader of um, the ancient world, Moses. Now, where would we be without him and his Ten Commandments and his leadership and, and all of that? There's adoption throughout the whole scriptures, including the New Testament, where those of us who are far away from God are adopted into his family through faith because of his kindness. How do you think this film will impact how people view adoption now? What is that hope of yours? I, I'm hoping that this will open people's eyes to adoption being the loving choice. We believe that adoption is the loving choice in the midst of a scary um, situation that feels like a crisis. Um, we believe that there is a, a, a miracle, miracle buried in there. And we believe that there's an opportunity for something extraordinary to happen if we look through the lens of love 
toward everybody involved in this difficult situation. You know, when there's an unplanned pregnancy, there's not just a woman involved, there's also uh, a man involved. Uh, wh where is he? What does he need? Why isn't he supporting her? Why aren't they together uh, helping at, and walking each other through this situation? How do we um, also look through the lens of love toward the child who is developing uh, and has a whole future ahead of him or her in the womb? Uh, one choice that I know fits the bill for everybody is adoption because we've adopted four kids ourselves. And uh, I am so grateful. Every one of my children was one doctor appointment away from not existing. My wife was, was uh, uh, perhaps minutes away from not being here. And if my wife hadn't been born, either would our two natural born children. And so uh, I am a big proponent of adoption. I want people to look into it and see that it is an incredibly loving choice and something that could um, help you save a, save a life and answer the prayers of those who are not able to have children on their own. Wow. You know, you told that beautiful story of the young lady who was headed, you know, for the clinic, saw the movie, made the U-turn and, and had her child. You know, it, let's, let's talk more in general now. You know, the film is pro-family, pro-reconciliation, pro-forgiveness, and so much more. How do you think the film will impact how the general public views adoption now? I, I'm hoping that, well, I mean, that is who's seeing the movie is the general public. Um, this isn't a movie for a isolated group of religious people. Uh, this is a movie for uh, my daughters and my sons and, and your daughters and sons. This is for um, uh, grandparents and adults, everyone. Uh, this is a huge issue. You know, I, I, I love that our country is founded on the inalienable rights that we know come to us from God. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And the first and chief among these is life. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist or you're a Christian or a Jew or a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or whatever. If we sacrifice life um, by putting qualifiers on which ones are worthy to be um, spared and which ones can be sacrificed, uh, we fundamentally undermine the freedoms that we have in the country. There, there, there ain't no liberty if you don't have life. Right. Uh, we don't even get around to choosing the pursuit of happiness in any form if we don't start with all life is precious and it's sacred. It must be protected and celebrated in the womb, outside the womb, black, white. No qualifiers um, disqualify anyone from being a human being and being in a person. So I'm hoping that people see that, uh, that every life counts and that an unplanned pregnancy is not a reason to destroy a life. Um, it's reason to do a, to a lot of it, to do a lot of adjusting and a lot of thinking, a lot of um, uh, reforming the way that we think and we live. And it's also um, an opportunity to be a hero in a very difficult circumstance and let faith and love drive your decision-making. Exactly. You know, one thing I've been so impressed about Kirk and your story, and we'll definitely get to where we can watch the movie is your entrepreneur mindset, how you took a brand, which was growing pains and have been able to create, I believe you're one of the major leaders in how Christian films have become so popular and have really just, you know, box office hits, especially even this one. What do you think, what was your, have you been mentored or did you have this mindset you wanted to use what you, how people watched you every week for so many years on Growing Pains, how you've been able to increase your overall brand to this message and this mission that you have a tribe of people to help. How do you think you did that? I mean, it's, it's such an, an amazing story of how you took brand, brand awareness and has kept it to the level that you've grown to what you've been able to build, that you're making such a difference in so many people's lives. Man, I, you know, when I hear you say that, um, I, I um, th thank you for those kind words. That's very encouraging. That put wind, puts wind in my sails and makes me feel like, wow, um, makes, makes it sound like what I'm doing is, is important. And I want to do important things. I want to make a difference. I don't want to waste my life. I feel uh, so grateful that I'm alive. I'm grateful that I live in America. I'm grateful that I'm, I'm married. I've got kids and, and I'm able to do stuff that makes a difference. But I don't, I can't tell you that I had a great plan of brand awareness. You know, I had an awareness 
that uh, I'm fortunate and I don't want to screw it up. And I want to honor the God that has been kind and gracious to me. That's, that was kind of the extent of my plan. It's, it still is when I wake up in the morning. I mean, all this could be gone tomorrow. Um, I, I don't deserve the opportunities that I have. Um, but there's a principle that I try to live by. And that is, uh, God says in the scriptures, in the Bible, that he who is faithful in the little things uh, will also be entrusted with big things. And I don't really know how to manage things on a giant national level. Um, I don't think... Uh, I don't think I've got a, a, a laid out strategy for that, but I do have a strategy of trying to be faithful with what God has put right in front of me. And if I can do that, uh, I think I will learn as I you know, sort of on the job training for how to handle bigger things. So um, I, don't, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a good answer or not. Well, then not giving the strategy. I'm taking but it one day at a time. I think the strategy was, but I, I see what you're saying as humble as you are. And Kirk, I'm impressed by how humble of a guy you are. Because, you know, again, you're, I consider in that A-list category, especially what you've been able to grow from the beginning where you could just walk down as a, you know, a child star on growing pains and then it would have been over. You know, you might have done some acting, different things, but you've put yourself in this, this level that, you know, people talk about who would I like to interview? Because I have, you know, uh, people that reach out to me and say, hey, Neil, who should you interview? And you're on the top five list. So there you go. So you got to- well, thanks, bro. You got to <laughs> look at that. As, yeah. I appreciate I appreciate it. And, you know, it's also it's also fun to be to be made fun of and mocked and knocked down by my my favorite fake news source, the Babylon Bee. Uh, they 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 love to use me as um, kind of their 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 poster guy for, um, you know, uh, Christian jokes and stuff. And, so, and, I, and I laugh at it because they're so funny. Um, but yeah. stuff like that is is good. It's good to be able to laugh at yourself, not take yourself too seriously. And remember that to whom much is given, much is required. And um, I take that really seriously, too. All right. For your fans of Growing Pains, Greg will have a Growing Pains question. Go ahead, Greg, and then we'll finish up. I don't have a Growing Pains question, yeah, but I do. I do have an important question for you. But I love to learn from people, and I know my audience does as well. Just as a, as a tip, what's the most important thing you've ever learned? <laughs> oh, my goodness, Greg. Come on. <laughs> the, oh, my goodness. You're, you're having me reach down to the bottom of my soul to pull out one thing that I've learned that's most important. Um, just one. one. One is good. Just one. Uh, an important thing to learn. People are more important than, um, than, than things. Um, and the two, and that's huge, right? Like love, yeah. the two greatest commandments ever is to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as yourself. Um, that's about relationships, my relationship with God, my relationship with others. Um, it's not money, it's not power, it's not fame. All those are the traps that we get sucked into, uh, and then we ruin our relationships in the process. How many rich guys do you know who've just tanked their marriage? They have no relationship with their kids because those things are so alluring. We, we, we gotta take our eyes off the shiny things and come back to relationships are um, what we were made for. And then we use things to benefit relationships. We don't use people to get us things. So that, that's a big one for me. And then to remember that, well, which relationships are the most important? For me, I'm gonna say, if you're married, the two most important relationships are your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse. And then you build a life on, on those relationships. Um, my kids are gonna build the next 50 years on the, the values and the example that my wife and I have laid down for them in our home. Um, maybe, maybe you're not married, um, but if that's something that you desire, I would say uh, who you choose as your spouse is perhaps uh, the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life uh, next to uh, what you think about God. Yeah. And if you can get those things right, answer. man, if you get that's those things right, you're on the right road. Great yeah, answer. Love, love that answer. And Life Mark is available on DVD, Blu-ray, and digital on December 13th, yeah. correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. That's right. And uh, I hope you guys get a chance to see it. Uh, those of you who are watching, listening, uh, you're going to love it. And a uh, little spoiler alert, you, you, you will be in tears 
several times throughout the movie. It's very emotional, but uh, take heart. There's lots of humor. There's parts that are hilarious. There's lots of action. We've got skydiving, cliff jumping, knife throwing, ATV racing, high school wrestling. So there's lots of great stuff for the guys. And uh, But there's going to be a, a few moments where you're going to have a good cry, too. So br bring a box of tissues. We appreciate it, Kirk. You were amazing. Thanks again. And everyone can follow you anywhere. We know. Just find Kirk Cameron on social media. You're one of the social media juggernauts. Trust me on that. I, every time yeah. I'm talking about stuff. An influencer beyond influencers, but he's influencing for a purpose to help others all over the world. So we appreciate it, Kirk, for you stopping by. Hey, you you, you guys rock. And I appreciate all the good work that you're doing. Thanks for having me on the show and, and taking time to talk about life, Mark. All Thanks, right, again, this was a great simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Take care, guys. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, also the media giant effect. I'm excited first to welcome to the show my co-host from Strategic Wealth Strategies, Alan Porter. Alan, what's going on, man? And as you're learning the whole celebrity thing, as we you know do our own podcast as well, it's so interesting to learn from different celebrities and just their backgrounds and everything like that. Isn't that right, Alan? Absolutely, and Granger, it's a it's a pleasure to meet you. I've read I've reading your story uh, with Pure Flix and everything in the movie, and there's so many things that that I I connect to personally, and uh, I I just like to hear about how this has affected you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, this is my first film, my first uh, movie of of any sort, and so um, the first thing that attracted me to it, the reason I even considered it, was I just I really liked the script. I read the script. Uh, almost reluctantly when I got it, I, you know, I, I read it and it's about a country singer, which is, that's the reason it got to me. They were pitching it to country singers and I read it and I thought, you know, this is, here's this guy, the story of this guy who's, um, he's trying to handle everything himself. He's trying to internalize everything and deal with his family through grief and act like it's okay. And meanwhile, he's, he's just, he's a wreck. He's falling apart. He's losing He's losing his career. He has no creativity. He's, he's losing his, his ranch. He's having to sell it off piece by piece. And I thought, man, how, how normal is that for a guy to, uh, to try to take on the world and protect his family? Meanwhile, he's falling apart himself. You've had that point, Granger, as any country music star, anybody that get to stardom, there is that rock bottom point. Can you tell me that rock bottom story? And I'm going to go, we'll go back to the film, but I think it always relates when you play and, and act a specific part. There is truth to it in so many ways. And the most successful people in the world have to fail many times till they finally make it like you've made it in country music. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, a good actor, which I, I'm not in that category, but a good actor could probably just play anything, even if he's never been on rock bottom. He could probably just, you know, play it. Um, but, you know, fortunately, I guess for the director, they they cast a guy that actually has seen rock bottom. For me, um, that was a personal experience. My wife and I lost our little three-year-old boy, River. And um, it was, it was, it was the most difficult thing we've ever been through. And the journey back, from that, through that, forward from that um, has been uh, an incredible story of redemption, which is partly I was able to to use that for this film. Wow. And so that's a surprising one. I thought we'd have a like story of, you know, a country music launch and, and you know, it rock bottom sleeping in your car. But that one's more. <laughs> it's, a, it's family. It's it's a challenge. And you could really reflect on this character from that, it sounds like. And that's good because character acting is such an important thing if you have some sort of relationship to it. Sure. Yeah, I'll take sleeping in my car any day over that. Uh, I would too, no doubt I'd lose one of my kids. That would be just, that would be heartbreaking. Yeah. Level, and I, I, my prayers are with you. Uh, go ahead, Alan, with a question. Well, you know, River, I, I kind of uh, resemble something like that because my son over 13 years ago became 100% disabled. And uh, and then three years after that, his wife, Lynn, of age 39, the mother of my two granddaughters, calling up January 5th, 2010, I'll never forget it. She said, Alan, I've been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. They give me six months to live. Well, Lynn died about a year later. Uh, but during that time, my daughter had given birth to her third grandson. And she called me up. She said, Dad, I got, I got breast cancer. And uh, I had a talk with her, her husband one night. And he's a doctor. And she's an oncology nurse. And he said, uh, Alan, I think she's going to pass away. And so she's 
nine years cancer-free now, but I cannot imagine what you went through, losing your child before you die. Well, um, what what we do, we I couldn't have imagined either. And um, what we do, humans are incredibly resilient. And we see that through our ancestors. We see that in our past. And and what we do when we're faced with the ultimate trial is uh, we just continue to move forward. We can't move on, but there's only so long we could just uh, lay in our own mud. And at some point, and that's what the gospel calls us. That's what Jesus called us to do, too. It's, it's always forward. It's always follow me. It's always, it's always moving out and up and forward. And ultimately, we can only sit on rock bottom for so long before we realize it's time to move. You're exactly right. Exactly. Now, with the film and everything, the story, he hits rock bottom, and it's a Christmas story for sure, but really gives a lesson, right? Without giving it away, the lesson's really there uh, in this film, right? To let people know specifically what to do through this. Yeah, the, the, the character in the film is um, grieving the loss of his wife. He, he, she dies two years prior to when the film starts. And uh, this guy's just trying to handle everything and act like everything's okay, but in reality, he can't deal with Christmas. He doesn't want to put up Christmas decorations. He, he doesn't even want to have Christmas, which is resembles a lot of people today. You know, Christmas is such a time of joy and happiness and family, but it also represents a time when a lot of families are missing someone at their dinner table. There's an yeah. empty chair. And a lot of people are thinking, you know what? I'm just I'm just ready for Christmas to come and go, to be over it, so we can get past this and get, get on to January and and forget about this loss in our family. And it takes in the movie, it takes his daughter to finally break him down. Ironically, this, this, this little daughter, this little fragile daughter that breaks down the man and, and says, um, daddy, it's time. It's time to, it's time to move forward. Mm -hmm. oh, that's powerful. And it's a powerful story, Alan, for sure. But you know, you know I love, what I love about Pure Flix, it, it's their emotional stories, and I can't wait to watch your film because hmm. uh, I watch I watch it probably once or twice a month, and every time I watch it, <laughs> I get very emotional. I cry a lot, but uh, <laughs> when you, when it's done, it's 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 a it's a it's an experience. People need to understand, and a lot of people don't. Uh, they don't they don't understand what what you've gone through, what I've gone through. But uh, when you can show it and and show people there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, it's a big difference for them. That, that's exactly right, Alan. And that's that's what I hope with this film, that it'll sneak up on people. People accidentally sit down and start watching it and not realize that they're going to be uh, wrangled in emotionally and, um, and, and they'll be able to relate to it. Or they'll say, this story is me. Or this story is is just like my father or my brother or my husband, but they'll say I could relate to this, and and they'll they'll stay with it to the end to see the hope that the film has. Now, Granger, is this this was your first acting experience, or have you done acting before this? First, first acting, first film, first everything. Are you going to be what? What's next for you in acting? Are you going to look to go take acting course classes and stuff like that? In the films? <laughs> Or with your busy schedule of country music, what is your tour manager thing? All these people saying, oh, no, is Granger moving into the being this huge Christian star now after doing this? You know, is uh, it, or is it one one off or are you going to be doing more? Well, I guess one thing I could say is I've I've learned over the years to really be open for anything that I'm that I could be called to do. I had no idea. I would never have planned to be in a movie, if you had asked me five years ago, do you think your five-year plan is to ultimately be in a movie? I would have said no. And that's just the thing. It, we can't we can't uh, sit stuck in our own plans until we realize that we'll just surrender to uh, to God and see what, what might be coming next. For me specifically, what comes next in 2023 is I have a book coming out in the oh. fall. So we'll be transitioning into uh, promoting this book 
uh, maybe get back on your show here and, and talk oh, about I that. I want but, you back on, Granger, okay, for the book, okay? okay. And then, we'll do that. Whatever PR rep, just reach out. I'll have you back on, no doubt. Uh, my uh, celebrity podcast is number 12 in the world, according to Feedspot, ranked higher than Shaq and Schnooky's podcast. So I interview wow. celebrities all the time. So I really love these conversations, but I'd be happy to do that with the book. Is the book this more of the story? Is it a biography? That you- it's a it's a memoir i guess you could say it's the story of um, when when we lost our son in the three years of of the journey after that um including the birth of our latest son maverick who was um just a complete gift so it's it's a it's a very unexpected story but i think it's a good one any other well, questions you have alan for well, yeah, it's I, I was a Black Hawk instructor pilot in the Army. I retired in 1930. Mm. And I tell people I've had to safe land for every takeoff and I dodged all bulls. And I loved, I had a passion for what I was doing. But I never had a passion for doing anything until what happened to my daughter-in-law, my son and my daughter. And I'm very passionate about what I do. And I want to educate people because think about this. When my son was disabled, there's no income coming. He hadn't worked in three years. And then his wife gets pancreatic cancer. She, there's a huge problem. There's no money coming in. It had not been for the terminal illness rider on her life insurance policy, my son would be bankrupt. It took a huge financial strain off of me. And my number one goal, both professionally and personally, is protection of the family and protection of their assets. And people need to be educated on the the value of having certain assets that they can relay to that's going to protect their families. If you live too long, die too soon, or get sick. Because long-term care is extremely expensive for people. I just put my brother in a nursing home. He has Alzheimer's. And he's I'm 69. He's seven or five years older than I am. I mean, it's going to be devastating for him. But uh, I, I can't wait to watch your movie. Yeah. Well, thank you, Alan. And uh, you're you're a smart man. I, I need to talk to you more about that one day. But but in the meantime, I will tell you that I, I have uh, not nearly as much as you, but I have flown in a Blackhawk in, uh, in Iraq when we went to do entertainment tours over there and we flew every day in these Blackhawks. I was blown away by the the force that that aircraft takes. I mean, you see them in the sky and, and no one could really appreciate how those things can maneuver. And as we went over some of those little those little uh, Iraqi villages and right. they had to do their maneuvers to get away from uh, the potential um, grenade launchers, it was just it was crazier than any roller coaster I've ever been on. So hats off to you, Alan. Those Blackhawks are incredible. And well, the, I didn't have much fun over there, but I'm glad no, I got I don't. <laughs> But he's uh, thank you again, Alan, for your service. Now, Granger, so you said the book. What about your music? Where people can find that? And also it's available in Pure Fix, the film, uh, on December 15th, correct? Is that correct? December 15th, Pure Flix. You can find my music anywhere you love to hear music. Uh, you can find my podcast anywhere you love to hear podcasts. And uh, all my social media is Granger Smith. So what's your podcast about? Granger Smith Podcast. I answer your questions. So people email me and we walk through your life questions. Mm-hmm. could be about any subject in life. And we walk through it. And, uh, and it's, it's one of my passions for sure. So what is your ultimate goal as a country music star? What do you want to attain? I, I just, I want to do things that matter. I want to do things that matter. And, th- and that's, that's what something I had to learn over the years that we can only play so many shows or put out so many albums or have so many awards or have so many uh, people in attendance at a concert. But, but what, what really matters at the end of the day that helps me come back to it is saying to, someone was affected today. One person in this audience that came to feel something or to remember something or to forget something Somebody was changed by a song today or by this film or by an answer on the podcast. But as long as I could walk away at the end of every day and say something I did today actually mattered for someone else, that's what keeps me motivated to keep on going. And man, I tell you, I don't know um, your age, but you got the energy, you're rolling through and you're going to dominate in everything. You do <laughs> I think you put the time in. And do you think it's, it's, is it some sort of work ethic that drives you every day to do what you're doing? I, I wish I could give you a magic formula to that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, um, I, I feel very blessed. I feel very right. blessed. I, I, I think you have a passion for what you do. Yeah. You absolutely have a passion for what you do. It's the same thing okay. with me. And yeah. passion drives people to do lots of things. Right. Yeah. And that's what you yeah. should do. Amen. 
Well, we appreciate it, Granger. Thanks again for stopping by. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. All right. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show and the media giant effect. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show and the media giant effect. I'm excited to welcome the program. First, my co-host, Dr. Ted Grellner. Ted, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest. And did you all ever want to be a cowboy? Ted? Well, growing up in the city, I didn't have any exposure to uh, the cowboy life. You know, I grew up in St. Louis. But uh, later on in life, um, when I was dating a woman who had uh, roots with um, like an in-law that was cowboy-like, if you will, (laughs) Houston, South Dakota, we started going to rodeos. And what a blast. That's, that's, That's fun. There's a lot of athleticism, a lot of a lot of bravery in, in, in doing what those guys do, a lot of strength. And uh, it's entertaining. And, and, the, and the people are nice people. So it was it was a fun environment. Absolutely. And our guest today is Mike Booth. He's the author of the new book. A Cowboy Remembers is a reflection of his feelings for a cowboy in the old west. How are you, Mike? And, you know, uh, so you've done the whole thing in the rodeo, haven't you, for sure, as a cowboy, right? Well, more than that, I had 63 head of court horses. I worked every day. Wow. It was an all-day deal. I, I would get up and leave the house and then at the morning and come back at dark. So that was a that was a seven-day-a-week job pretty much. Wow. Did you do the rodeos too? I did. I team roped and calf roped some. Uh, I never did the really did the rough stock, uh, but I did enjoy doing that. And then uh, at some of the rodeos later when I – when I stopped competing, I was privileged enough that they would call me back and I would uh, do a specialty act singing Western cowboy music in between the acts. Hmm. Okay. All right, Ted. It's pretty, hard on, it's pretty hard on you physically. I mean, you, know, you guys get beat up. Oh, uh, it, it, oh it, it, believe me when I tell you that the old saying, if I'd have known I was going to live this long, I'd taken better care of myself. That reflects <laughs> every cowboy you'll ever meet in your life. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see why. Exactly. And when you think about specifically what makes a cowboy. So, you know, I remember that when I was a former professional wrestler, they tried to give me a cowboy gimmick. I'm from the North. Are you freaking kidding me? Don't a cowboy. I know more about the city, just like Ted. And oh, yeah, you need the. we got to go find the chaps for you. You know, they were trying to make me like Barry Windham and all that stuff. And I'm like, dude, this is not working. This is like when they had Stone Cold Steve Austin before he was Steve Austin and he was part of the Hollywood bronze. The guys from Texas and having him being a Californian. The same thing to have me as giant Butch Bronson, a cowboy, when I had no cowboy sense. So what makes a cowboy? Well, to me, it's more than just working with horses and working with cattle. Uh, Being a cowboy can actually be a state of mind to me. Okay, being a cowboy, you respect and, and, and worry about your neighbors. Uh, you put family in the right perspective in your life. You put God and country in the right perspectives in your life. And those are the things that kind of set you up to have that cowboy mentality because a cowboy always has the stock. That is their first priority. Whether it's 30 below zero and you're, you've got a hammer in your hand and you're bursting the ice so that the cattle can drink, or if it's 100 degrees outside and you're on the horse going, are you kidding me? I can't believe I'm doing this. And But you still, the stock has to be tended to every day. So if you have something in your life that you have to do every day, might not be a, might not be that you're a cowboy, but you're kind of doing it the cowboy way because you're stepping up to the plate and doing what you have to do every day. Go ahead, Ted. I see we some have- similarities between cowboys and farmers in that, you know, you're, 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 you're living off the land. You're, you're responsible for how your you and your family are going to survive, you know, the winters, the summers, the crops, you know, be it, you know, be it the, the, the animals that you're raising or, or the, or the crops that you're, you're raising. Am I right in, in saying that? You're absolutely a hundred percent right in saying that. Um, as I the uh, farmer actually, as far as I'm concerned, the farmer works harder than the cowboy. Cowboys up at uh, Sons of the San Joaquin had a great song called uh, The Great American Cowboy, and it's up at the break of dawn putting those big boots on. But I have to tell you, 
a farmer's up to break it on and he's putting those big boots on also. So yeah. yes, the farmer, and actually he's doing, he's doing for everyone where the cowboy's doing for himself. True. Plus he's got a lot more investment probably in all that equipment that he's got to have. Well, when, and, and, um, you can, you can have a horse that's no good and uh, you're all because you've got two or three that are good. If well, the farm crop goes south, he's done. Hmm. And so he's a lot more pressure on him than the cowboy has on himself. How did rodeos get started? Is it a way to just, uh, you know, let it, loose and, and chill and, well, and a it, gathering place? It was actually ranchers that were putting, uh, started to compete against one another ranch to ranch, uh, as, as entertainment and something to, you know, to kind of give, uh, everybody something to do together mm. party, uh, because it was just, you know, it's just a lot of work, a lot of distance between everyone. Uh, and this way, not only did you get to know your neighbor, but you, you had fellowship and enjoyed one another. And then, you know, it just grew and grew and grew until it became a sport. It definitely is. I mean, even watching some of these women barrel racing, I mean, wow, <laughs> just well, to that, stay on the horse. <laughs> yeah, that is, um, there's not, there's not an easy event in rodeo. There's no. not, uh, they they all have their, their difficulties, their drawbacks, but, um, but they're all actually when you, you, you have to win because you're running up and down the road. And I mean, like you see a cowboy get thrown off or if he is steer wrestling and he misses, or if he's throwing a rope and he misses, think about this. He just drove from Oshkosh, Wisconsin to Kissimmee, Florida for the Silver Spurs rodeo. And he missed, you know what he gets to do? Load his horse up and go back home. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the expense of the roads, but it is so fulfilling Yeah, when, when you catch that steer and you do the right thing and you win, it's just, it's a rush that you just can't believe. Hmm. Totally is. Uh, any winning, winning something is, is a rush. What, when did you kind of go into the country music get day? Did that come after the rodeo? Oh yeah. That well, 1985. So yeah, it was after I had the horse ranch in the seventies. And then in uh, 1985, I just had a wild hair and decided I'd, I'd always wanted to sing. And you can't fall down if you don't stand up. So I just decided to go up and record an album. And when I got there, the, the producer, I mean, it was like 10 o'clock at night. He was late. I, it was late. He was late getting there. The, the band was setting up at 6 the next morning. And he said, Okay, let's sit down and go through these 10 songs you're going to put on the album. Okay. So he starts playing the first song and he goes, what key do you do this in? I said, door. He laughed. He said, door key. That's good. He said, we're <laughs> fine. We're going to have a good time. But he says, I'm serious. The band's going to be here. And I said, man, I don't know from key. And, it, and so I went from there and it was awful. That weekend was terrible. And I went back. I called him. And about two, three weeks later, and I said, I want to come back and try it again. And he said, why? <laughs> he said, you're awful. <laughs> he said, man, you need to stay home and practice. And he said, you ain't got it, and you ain't going to find it. <laughs> I said, well, you got to learn to quit holding back and tell people what you really think. <laughs> I said, I'm I want to come back again. And. Then he jumped down my throat and said, well, if you're coming back again, I'm charging you. Well, then I got mad and said, I don't remember asking you to ever do anything for free anyway. Do I come to the studio? You pick me up. He said, if you're dumb enough to come to the studio, stupid enough to pay me again, I'm just dumb enough to pick you up. So <laughs> he picked me up at the airport. We went to the studio. We worked three hours, finished three songs. One of those three songs went to number 16 in the nation on the indie charts. Wow. It was called love on a blue rainy day and he said in my life i will never see this much of a change in anyone what happened and i to be honest i was so overwhelmed in the studio i was listening to uh the musicians as they were setting up and they're talking about all these people that they're performing with and it just blew my mind 
So I just, I absolutely allowed myself to be overcome. And then I went back and it was just he and I, and I relaxed and it worked out really well. God was good to me. When you're working with uh, talented musicians, it's like everybody lifts everybody else's uh, talent up. Yeah, because you you don't want to be on the lower rung. You want to match those guys that are playing next to you. So I'm sure that helped a lot. Oh, no, it it helped more than you can imagine. And it turned out that um, four of the five guys on the first album wanted to be on the second and third one with me. So that that turned out, I mean, you know, so to me, that's just really, uh, that's a compliment that you don't have to say in words. When you say, I want. I want to do this. I want to do another one with him. They're not embarrassed. They're happy to be there. But you'll probably not forget what the feeling was like to be playing with those guys and and getting it right on. You know what I mean? There's nothing. Oh, you're not kidding. And I mean, there's you, you, you hit the hammer right on top of the the nail. We froze up here. Yeah. That, uh, that without question, uh, is a, it's a, it's like catching the rush. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what is, so what is your hope with the book? Mike? Well, I'd like to, I would like to really reach people and, and people that do not know about the cowboy way of life. And um, I touch upon a lot of, a lot of cowboy poets do a lot of um, uh, funny poems and I've, I've done a few, but I try, I did a lot more, not necessarily on the serious side, but kind of on the serious side. And it, and it, I've tried to open the door for people that, that are not familiar with the cowboy way of life to be able to read this. And I've had a lot of people that have purchased the book from me that have said, and I've gotten very nice emails from people and I've got very nice responses that say, you know, we're really not cowboys, but we enjoyed your poetry book. And um, so that was to me, uh, uh, that's as good a compliment as you can ask for. How'd you get into poetry? I used to listen to cowboy poets and I was inspired by people like Red Stiegel, uh, Baxter Black, Waddy Mitchell, Tom Chambers. Uh, these uh, actually Tom was the president of the Western Music Association, but he wrote some really good poems, too. And I, I really enjoyed uh, getting to meet these gentlemen and and to to listen to them. And seriously, in the, about 1987, I was at work and it was slow. And I said, I think I'll write a cowboy poem. And I wrote one. I wrote one a day for twenty-five days. Oh wow! And, and then got in and sent some poetry off to Elko, Nevada, uh, during 1991 when it was just starting the National uh, uh, Cowboy Poetry and Music Gathering in Elko every January, and it's turned into the biggest number one big deal in the country. And I had. Time I was accepted. I had time slots. Everything was, I mean, all the dominoes fell in, in a row. And I was an I'm an auctioneer, and I worked for an auction company. And I went was telling the owner one day. I said, "Man, I'm going to Elko, Nevada. I have been and I've been invited to go do this." And I was pumped. And he went, "Well, you can't go." I said, what do you mean I can't go? He said, "I've I booked an auction that weekend, and I have to have you." And I said, well, I really would like to go do this. And he said, well, you're welcome to go do this, but you're fired. So you can have a job or you can go do this. Well, in that particular time in my life, job was like really important. Hmm. So I said, I had to call, eat crow, cancel, do all that. And I just got aggravated threw the poems in a folder and put them, put them away. And everywhere I traveled and did Hmm. cowboy poetry, I always did other people's. And then about, you know, we sold our house. I went through the attic, found a cardboard box, opened it up, and there were those poems. Now, I've been married 31 years. And I I told my wife, I said, look what I found. I can't even believe I found these. She said, what is that? And I told her the cowboy poems, and she went, when did you do that? And I said, before we married. And I started flipping through the poems, reading them to her. And she went, well, those are pretty good. And I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, have these edited and punctuation fixed and spelling. And and I'm going to make about 20 books and give them to my children and grandchildren 
as something to remember me by. And I took him to a really nice lady to have it edited. And she was a ghostwriter in Atlanta, Georgia. And I won't do this unless you talk to me about who you are. And that was, I figured 15 minutes, hour and a half later, I'm still there. And she said, okay, I'm going to do this for you. She, she edited it. She said, what are you going to do with this? And I told her, and she says, that's a mistake. These are marketable. And I said, no, they're not. She said, oh, yes, they are. There's only one thing wrong. You, you need 14 more to make a good book. <laughs> and um, so, I, so I went home and two weeks later, I took her 14 poems and, and P.S., we have a book. And instead of, making, instead of making it a traditional book about poem, turn the page, another poem, page, turn the page, another poem, I put in an a, um, intro to what, what uh, inspired me to write the poem and what uh, I put a picture in to try to give a picture of what the poem was about so that when you read the poem, you actually can be part of the poem instead of just, just a poem to read. That's great. No, you've definitely, you've definitely got my interest because I never knew that cowboys ever did poetry. That's you've expanded my scope tremendously today. <laughs> Man, uh, you get to learn and, new things all the time, Ted. Go yeah, ahead. Right, and, and then adding a picture to what the poem is about—that's a really cool idea. That's, that's very in, good. I put my uncle, who started me in horses when I was eight. I got pictures of him and my grandfather and myself at four years old on a pony and. And um, my first horse I ever bought with my own money when I was 19 years old. And I put all of that in there. To, and then a horse that was one of my favorite horses in the very back. One of the horses that I trained for a girl that actually become a professional rodeo barrel racer. And I worked and, and got that horse started for her. And uh, she ended up winning third in high school rodeo the year she bought him. She won it next the nation next year and went on uh, to... Uh, ride the rodeo circuit and win a ton and she was offered a fortune for that horse and the horse died in her barn at old age she wouldn't take a penny for him oh wow and Too bad I, you, you didn't get a percentage of the winnings from the horse really no kidding <laughs> <Isn't> that, <laughs> but her her family or i knew her mother before she was even born so it's just a what a what a privilege for me to even be a part of something like that Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Mike, best place we can find info on you and purchase your book. Where can we go? A cowboy remembers all lowercase.com. Okay. A cowboy remembers.com. And it'll take you to my website. There's a button there where you can go to Amazon and get it. Uh, you can go to cowboy, cowboy, cowboy.net, watch five videos I did, uh, read, uh, uh, reciting the poetry and out and uh, with a little bit of a flair to it. So if there's, but a cowboyremembers.com will take you right to the page that hopefully you'll find it. That would be a great Christmas gift for someone. All right. We appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for stopping by. Neil, Ted, thank you all so much for having me on. I truly appreciate it. I wish you both a very Merry Christmas and all of your listeners and the happiest of New Year's. Well, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. I was thank you. I appreciate all right. you all. All right. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also the media giant effect. And it's, oh my gosh, it's Thanksgiving time. And the National Dog Show presented by Purina will be hosted by award-winning TV personalities, author, Broadway star, John O'Hurley, Seinfeld and Dancing the Stars, an expert analyst and American Kennel Club licensed judge, David Fry. David and John, thanks for stopping by. It's exciting to have you back on and to talk again another year of the dog show. Another year, twenty-one years make it. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been wonderful. 20, a family tradition on Thanksgiving Day. Absolutely, twenty-one years is amazing to think about. Specifically enough in the memories and the different things. But John, there's some new things coming up this year, right? Uh, a new a new uh, group uh, that we're going to be judging, right? Well, we do. We have three new breeds. Uh, this is one of them right here. Oh, she's ex- he's excited. Ryder, yeah. this is Ryder. He's a Moody. He is a Hungarian herding dog that was recognized by the AKC uh, for for competition this year. Um, You see a lot of them in Hungary, obviously, a number of them in Finland, but not very many anywhere else. We just got finally enough of them in this country for the AKC to recognize them. But a beautiful, medium-sized, working farm dog that's uh, got a great temperament and attitude as well. We also got the Bracco Italiano 
as a new breed in the sporting group. Uh, it is a pointing dog, a bird dog of, of some substance. It's a little bigger than most of the other sporting dogs that we see working in the field. And that's so it can run right through all the briars and the brambles. Uh, uh, this is a beautiful moving dog that it's very elegant. You see them probably in a lot of artwork that looks like it's coming from the estates of the gentrymen in in the uh, in on the continent. So we have those two, and we have a toy dog. Yeah, it's a little uh, Russian toy. Actually, is what we have. If you imagine something as diminutive as a Chihuahua, but uh, put little papillon ears on, little butterfly ears. That's uh, that's what they are, and they have uh, they've they've caught the attention of many right now. It's uh, it's quite a cute little animal. So everyone's excited, and every year you guys are probably hearing all the feedback. They cannot wait to the dog show again, especially how many people love dogs, right? And each year, it really, it really is, and it's it's remarkable that we we're garnering an audience globally now of uh, over thirty million people. Uh, it's become uh, you know international um, has international appeal to it now. So it's wonderful to see it uh, you know become uh, the family tradition here in the states on the great family day, but also something that people are watching worldwide. All right. One of my fans has a question uh, for you, David. Uh, it involves their Shih Tzu Brussels Griffin mix. Why does she love socks so much? It's her quirky <laughs> obsession and she goes nuts when she sees socks. Why does she I love socks so much? I, I think that's kind of a universal thing, but it probably has something to do with scent. I would say it's her, it's the scent of her of her human partner that she wants to be near to. Our dogs always want to be with us. And do everything with us. Somebody once said to me, geez, don't you wish they could talk? And I said, no. First of all, I don't want them talking too much. <laughs> and secondly, I know what they would say. They would say, me too, me too. They want to be with you every everything you do, everywhere you go. And uh, that's what makes it so, so much fun at the dog show. You get to see all of that in action. Oh, thanks for that question. And, and John, what would you say you've learned most about being part of this? And especially from David about dogs compared to well, yeah. You know, let's let's be honest. Uh, in, in, if I was speaking for every man in the country, I would say that most of us are aware of maybe four or five different uh, dog breeds because we've seen them around our neighborhood. Uh, the AKC has is currently registered uh, 208 of them, breeds and varieties. Uh, that's a huge number. Uh, and uh, when we started this back in 2002, we only had 165 breeds. And uh, you can see how it's grown in the time that we've been on the air. So it's wonderful to not only uh, watch the new breeds that come into the show, but to recognize the diversity of breeds that uh, of all shapes, sizes. Some have hair, some have no hair, some have corded coats uh it's it's really quite remarkable uh to see all the different varieties and and to see that every one of them had a form and a function that have a written specification of what the perfect uh uh representative of that breed should be and that's what they're being judged against it's not just the cuteness factor all right well you know that's the the exciting thing and what to expect and you guys are going to be together again uh, David, again, tune in right after the parade, right? On Thursday on NBC. That's it. 12 at noon in all time zones. And also it repeats on Saturday night at eight o'clock on NBC uh, in all time zones. So you get two chances to see us and, and you'll get, I'm sure that, that it will be shown a little bit on Peacock over the course of the year as well. But catch us now. Come on Thanksgiving Day when you're waiting for that turkey. Uh, hold on to the remote so the football guys can't get it. And uh Come and see us. Yep. Sit down with the dog next to you. <laughs> John, any final notes to your fans, John, uh, about uh, what's going on? In life now. well be part of be part of a large audience and also our, our uh, presenting sponsor uh purina has a wonderful interactive game that they'll be doing uh playing during the uh during the show uh it's uh it's called game show sweepstakes and if you go to G game shows or excuse yep. me dog show sweepstakes john come on dog show sweepstakes.com you can register and it's basically a bingo like game that you'll see certain clues uh during the run of the show uh and if you can match up five in a row or five on an angle or five down, uh, you just go back and register there on dogshowsweepstakes.com and you'll be eligible for prizes from our our uh, wonderful sponsor, Purina. All right. You're, thanks, guys. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. Thank we'll you. be back in just a moment.